0: So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself.
1: I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how is this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Sam.
3: And I'm Dr. Fran.
2: Welcome to Freudian
3: Scripts the podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch to take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed.
2: We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen
3: on our screens. As a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. The content and clips in today's episode will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes. We will also be talking about eating disorders today, which may be a difficult topic for some listeners
2: hello and thanks for listening today in honor of national eating disorders awareness week which is february 22nd to the 28th we are putting to the bone on our couch today
1: 280 for the pork 350 for the buttered noodles 150 for the roll and 75 for butter it's like you have calorie asperger's
0: you do a lot of sit-ups i'm not going to treat you if you aren't interested in living
1: you okay honey i just got up too fast So, welcome to our new house member, Alan. Hi. Oh, my God. How do you do it? Eat. I mean... I'm not going to lie. I'm really fucking hungry.
0: (laughs) The way that you're going, one day you won't wake up.
1: I can't stop.
0: Every time you hear that voice, I want you to tell it to fuck off. Fuck off, voice!
1: Some of them actually seem like they're doing okay. Like they might get lives and be semi-interesting people.
0: Did you just say something optimistic?
1: I did say semi. So,
2: To the Bone is a 2017 drama, which is currently available on Netflix. The story follows Ellen, played by Lily Collins, who is a 20-year-old woman diagnosed with anorexia nervosa. We see that she has been admitted to various treatment programs and inpatient hospitalizations without much success in recovery. Her family then sends her to a group home, Thresholds, which is led by a non-traditional doctor who is played by Kiana Reeves. While at Thresholds, we follow Ellen as she learns to confront her diagnosis and receive treatment.
3: And we wanted to just highlight some controversy that came out around this film. If anyone remembers, this film came out in 2017, um, right on the heels of 13 Reasons Why, which also had a lot of controversy related um, to, you know, some aspects of what it, the content being covered and, you know, the sensitivity to which it was being covered. Um, it did receive a lot of critical acclaim for drawing attention to an important illness and trying to do so in a sen- sensitive way. So the director actually herself, um, part of this is based off of her experiences having an eating disorder. Disorder. Lily Collins has come out saying that she also had an eating disorder in adolescence. Um, and they did consult with a lot of individuals with eating disorder histories and eating disorder um, organizations to try to do this film in a way that was sensitive and, you know, um, realistic and not glorifying or, you know, portraying eating disorders in a specific way.
2: Some of the criticisms or concerns that did come out when the film was released was just about, you know, um, the content potentially being troubling for survivors or people that also have a history of eating disorders. There were also ethical concerns about the leading actress having to lose so much weight for her role, um, especially in the context of her own history. Um, and then, as Dr. Fran mentioned, just some people had concerns about potentially glorifying or encouraging others um, to engage in similar behaviors.
3: So we think this is still a really important topic to bring awareness to and why we wanted to do so, especially during Eating Disorder Awareness Week. Um, We really hope to do today's episode in a manner that's sensitive and doesn't perpetuate behaviors depicted in the film. We won't discuss any specific strategies used by the characters to lose weight, but we will be discussing the symptoms of anorexia nervosa, which can be distressing for some listeners. Um, And our main focus today will really be talking about the treatment for eating disorders.
2: Yes. Um, and, you know, it is important for us to note that if you or someone that you know um, is experiencing an eating disorder or symptoms of an eating disorder, you can get help by calling the National Eating Disorders Association Helpline. And we will have this number and resources available on our website as well. But that phone number is 1-800-931-2237.
3: Alright, so let's kind of jump into it. So when we're first introduced to the main character, Ellen, we see her in an inpatient treatment setting and she kind of comes across as this very sarcastic, she's very cynical, she doesn't seem to be really buying into the treatment that she's engaging in in the inpatient hospital.
2: No, we first see it seems like she's like in a group setting where they're working on some crafts um, and she doesn't really seem to be bonded or getting along with the other girls in her group. Um, And she kind of uh, makes some comments towards the other girls as they're expressing their experiences, that they're like blaming it on others and that they basically just have to kind of like suck it up.
3: (laughs) There's no point in blaming everybody. Live with it. Yeah, and so she's discharged from the hospital, and it's a little bit unclear under what circumstances. Is she really being mm-hmm. discharged because she has recovered or has met her treatment goals? Or is it because, as her stepmother states, she was defiant mm-hmm. and a bad influence? I'm putting quotation marks around these, these things yes. um, in the hospital, and that's why she's no longer staying there. And we have questions about how successful this
2: treatment was, especially, like, you know, upon her being discharged. Because as soon as she's home, we see that she is engaging in potentially, like, excessive workouts. Um, She does seem to still be really focused on the calories, um, not eating much or restricting her food intake uh, while she is living with her stepmother and father.
3: Yeah, and so we actually learned that Ellen has an eating disorder and she's been in and out of treatment several times. This isn't her first time going to an inpatient hospitalization. I think it was maybe four times that she's been in and out of the hospital. She's 20. She's recently dropped out of college. She has been prescribed antidepressants. um, And we also learned she has a pretty complicated family history.
2: Yes, and this is um, a large part of what we see in the movie and what seems to really have a big impact on the character, Ellen. Uh, For today, we're going to kind of briefly talk about her family family history and especially as it pertains to her treatment. So we do learn that her parents are divorced. Um, it seems like she's currently living with her stepmother and dad. And later we find out, um, stepmother kind of makes a comment that it wasn't a good time for her mother to kind of take this on. And again, that's in quotes, meaning she doesn't really have the capacity to care for Ellen or have Ellen in her home at this time. Um, while she's living with her stepmother and father, we never actually, in the whole movie, we never see dad. Um, he doesn't really seem to be involved. Um, He's never around, and we'll talk about this later, but even during a family session, he does not show up um, for the family session that he was invited to and had said that he would be able to make. The stepmother is originally kind of portrayed as very, like, overbearing and judgmental she seems to kind of shame ellen when ellen returns home there are certain rules so she has to be weighed daily while living with them she has to meet certain goals or else she can no longer live with them as well and she seems hypercritical at one point when she is weighing ellen she puts her on the scale takes a picture um and kind of makes comments about like do you really think this is beautiful this looks good
1: do you see that do you see what you look like yeah do you think that's beautiful?
2: She also makes comments throughout the movie about why she thinks Ellen has an eating disorder, which are not
3: accurate. Hey, what happened to that sweet girl that I met at Transitions? You two seem very close, and I just, I want you to know that it's fine if you were.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Susan. Jesus, Mom, just because her mom is gay does no, not you mean that get she's married. gay. You, you no,
3: know, you can get married now. I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying, you know, if you... If you have that kind of turmoil, then you might feel like you don't deserve to eat.
2: And as we'll discuss, really getting to the bottom of why isn't really a productive strategy.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So we also learn a little bit about Ellen's mom um, and her current partner and just kind of all the things that had led up to the parent parental divorce and why Ellen doesn't live with mom anymore. Um, We learn that mom maybe has a family history of bipolar disorder and has had her own history of hospitalizations. Her mother, Judy, she is a bipolar lesbian. That is not why. Judy has had several breakdowns. Hospitalizations. Poor Ellen had to call us one time because her mother was writing her own Bible on the walls. And it is important to note that there is an increased risk of different bipolar and depressive disorders um, that can be found among first-degree relatives of individuals with eating disorders. And of course, there's a genetic genetic component of individuals having eating disorders and then other family members having those as well. But of course, it's not that simple, right? Just because mom has bipolar disorder does not mean necessarily anything about Ellen's chances of developing an eating disorder. And I think just something in general that we wanted to make sure we highlight is that, you know, even though it's kind of set up to be, here's the this really dysfunctional family. Here are all these issues going on. It's not simple in terms of this is what's causing Ellen's eating disorder. Um, and I think that's what's where some criticism has come from this film is that it really sets it up to be that because of this dysfunctional family, because of these relationships, because of the way that Ellen's parents interact with her, she developed an eating disorder. And while we do see that there's some relationship between types of communication or dependency or certain types of interactions, correlations between that and certain eating disorders, it's not an A equals B situation. Um, It's much more complicated, as we've talked about many times on this podcast.
2: (laughs) Yes, just as Dr. Fran mentioned, you know, a lot of the diagnoses that we discuss or the things that we cover in various movies and TV shows, they are multifaceted. So there are many factors kind of working together, influencing the development of various disorders, including eating disorders. Um, So that is important to note as this movie kind of does draw a more like kind of straight line about like, oh. She has these family conflicts or family difficulties and therefore has anorexia nervosa. It does not work that way in real life. There's, and then I think in the movie, Dr. Beckman even makes a comment that there is never really one cause.
0: We're looking for one reason. is a losing battle. It's never that simple.
2: Then we would agree with this. Oftentimes, You know, whether it's genetics that are involved, the environment, personality factors, other influences, it can be very complex.
3: We will say one of the redeeming um, characteristics of the family is Ellen's relationship with her half-sister. I thought thought that part was really nicely done and just kind of like heartwarming that they have this relationship. Will you try this time? I mean, maybe this doctor is really great. Can you please just try this time?
1: I've got it under control. Nothing bad's going to happen. How many people do you think are down there? Like two million? I bet a bunch of them who are about to die just said the exact same thing. If you die, I will kill you.
2: I agree. I think that the relationship with her and her sister is really sweet. Um, The sister often expresses concern about her, um, and you kind of see her struggle to best support Ellen or figure out how to best be there for her, but it does seem like that relationship is a very positive one, which is nice. So let's talk a little bit more about Ellen and what we see in terms of symptoms that she may have and if she does possibly meet criteria for anorexia nervosa.
3: Yeah. So as we've talked about before, sometimes when we're given a diagnosis in the film, it's still helpful for us to kind of talk through. We don't have to maybe play as much guesswork of like what diagnosis is it, mm-hmm. but is it really an accurate portrayal or accurate depiction of a specific um Diagnosis. So in terms of anorexia nervosa, we are looking for a few specific criteria, the first of which is restriction of energy intake relative to requirements leading to a significantly low body weight in the context of age, sex, developmental trajectory, and physical health. So kind of the, to rephrase that in an easier way to understand, essentially, it's the idea that someone is at significantly low weight mm-hmm. compared to what it would be expected based on their different yes. characteristics.
2: And that can really vary. So in diagnosing, oftentimes medical professionals will work to kind of see like where an individual um, might be expected to be based on a certain growth curve. And then they factor into whether or not that that is um, significantly lower than would be expected and is safe for the individual.
3: And I think that's an important point because the majority of mental health diagnoses, psychologists or mental health providers can independently make those determinations. However, with a diagnosis like anorexia nervosa, there really is this medical component. And we may not be able to look at someone and automatically say that they meet criteria for this specific aspect of anorexia nervosa. And so collaboration with medical providers is really important.
2: That's a great point. And in my personal experience, um, having some experiences working with individuals with eating disorders... Um, that was my experience. So I worked in an interdisciplinary situation where we worked very closely with the medical professionals. Oftentimes, um, it was like adolescent medicine doctors that were involved. There were dietitians, nutritionists involved. Um, obviously psychology was involved and psychiatry. So really like a whole team approach. Um, and for the diagnosis, that partnership I think is key. In terms of Ellen, do we think that we see throughout the movie that she is restricting energy intake? So is she really putting a focus on restricting calories, restricting what she's eating? I would say she definitely meets for this criteria.
3: I would agree. And even though we don't have anyone explicitly state Mm -hmm. that, we definitely get that hint throughout that she is at this significantly low weight at different points in the film. So maybe not consistently throughout the whole movie, but there are points where they are concerned about her medical um, stability in terms of her weight.
2: I agree with that. And I think even at the times where they're not concerned about medical stability, and when we say that, um, patients that have um, eating disorders oftentimes will have physiological symptoms. So their heartbeats will be slower. They'll have um, changes in blood pressure, changes in electrolytes that can make it very um, unsafe to continue to exert energy. Um, And so in her case, even if she's not at that point where she's not necessarily stable, I think that there are comments about her being below, you know, the... recommended BMI, that there definitely is an emphasis on trying to get her weight up. Um, And throughout the movie, we see that that is something that she has difficulty with, is like taking in calories, eating, and kind of bringing her weight up.
3: So kind of a checkmark potentially for criteria one. For the second criteria, we're looking for an intense fear of gaining weight or of becoming fat or a persistent behavior that interferes with weight gain, even though someone's at significantly low weight. And we've already kind of alluded to this, but we definitely seem to see this with Ellen in terms of um, exercising often, engaging in calorie restriction, um, constantly measuring like her arm, for example, to see like her size. So we definitely see aspects of this for Ellen throughout
2: the movie. And I think a big part, too, that I thought was nicely shown in the movie is also this intense fear. Um, So individuals with eating disorders, um, especially as we're talking about anorexia nervosa, do have a fear of gaining weight or becoming fat. So let's listen to a quick clip where I really like the way Ellen um, and Luke are kind of discussing um, some of the difficulties that they have. And Ellen describes like this fear and even like sense of panic that she experiences.
1: How do you do it? Eat. I mean, I see you and it just, I don't know, I get, I get all panicky even thinking about it. Like like the world's going to fall apart. I feel that way. But, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah, but aren't you scared you won't be able to stop? That you're just going to, like. Be like one of those guys who has to be lifted out of his bed with a crane. Yeah. But Dr. Beck says that's not going to happen, so. Yeah, but he has to say that. He's pretty straight up. Plus, I'm not going to lie. I'm really fucking hungry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think we introduced Luke previously. So Luke is another one of the individuals that is um, at the residential treatment program and befriends Ellen. And also, um, per his description, has been diagnosed with anorexia um, in the past and is receiving treatment for anorexia at the program. Um, And so here we're really hearing how they both describe just this fear of eating. um, And um, they... Ellen even mentions like she's afraid that she won't be able to stop eating and that, you know, they will gain an excessive amount of weight.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So we definitely see that not just from Ellen, but from other characters in the movie that are in this treatment facility as well of this intense fear of gaining weight or what will happen if I can't stop or if I start eating.
2: So I think Dr. Fan and I are both saying it appears that Ellen does meet that criteria as well. And the third criteria is disturbance in the way in which one's body weight or shape is experienced, undue influence of body weight or shape on self evaluation, or persistent lack of recognition of the seriousness of current low body weight. So, what this is really kind of getting at is um, having disturbances in the way one views themselves or thinks about their weight and kind of evaluates themselves based on their weight, and then not recognizing the seriousness of. Their current weight when they are at low weights.
3: And I think a good example of this, like Dr. Sam referred to earlier, is the stepmother, right? She's viewing Ellen in a certain way of like, do you think this is pretty? Why do you keep losing weight? And to Ellen, she's seeing her body in a very different way than her stepmother or other people are seeing it. And in her mind, she's feeling like she needs to keep losing weight or she can't gain weight or else she won't be X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. So there is kind of this, dif- this difference in the way that she views her body compared to others. Um, and it is also very common for individuals with eating disorders, particularly with anorexia, to have that lack of insight or that lack of awareness of how serious this can be um, or, you know, whether they really need treatment or whether this is something that really needs to change. Um, Because the idea is that if I keep losing weight, I will look better, I will feel better. Um, And so why would I do something different?
2: And I think Ellen puts it really nicely, too, at one point in the movie where she just says, like, she can't stop. She feels like she can't stop. And I think we also see throughout the movie that she does not realize the seriousness of her current low body weight. You know, we'll talk a little bit more about this, too. But she eventually leaves the program um, when she's at a place where she is – uh, potentially not very medically stable um, and, you know, doesn't really seem to grasp like how um, sick she might be.
3: So those are the three primary criteria for anorexia nervosa. And so based on this, it does seem like uh, like Ellen would meet criteria for anorexia. We
2: do want to talk briefly because we see some of the
3: physiological
2: disturbances or um, effects of Ellen's eating behaviors, so the movie does talk about, like, absence of menstruation. I think this is something that several of the characters talk about. And when Ellen first meets Dr. Beckham, she mentions that she doesn't remember when she last had her last menstrual period. Um, There's also vital sign abnormalities, so there can be differences in blood pressure. I mentioned that they're oftentimes measuring and looking for anomalies in electrolytes. Um, And then there can be hypotension, hypothermia, and bradycardia, which is a fancy word for saying slower than normal heart rate.
3: And we see other things come up with Ellen as well. Um, When she first meets Dr. Beckman, he talks about how her body is developing more hair on the arms, um, and that can happen as a result of malnutrition.
2: Dr. Beckman also notices the bruising on her spine um, from the excessive exercising. Um, So we can kind of see some of the physical impact or some of the physical things that she's experiencing.
3: And having this medical evaluation prior to entering the residential program would be pretty standard, Mm -hmm. um, that there would be some type of medical evaluation ideally before this um, and before she enters the treatment program.
2: And one of the aspects of treatment that we don't see in this movie is individuals who have disordered eating um, of various diagnoses sometimes will require inpatient hospitalization at a medical hospital to ensure that they are medically stable before going to a treatment program that focuses on disordered eating. Um, so in the case of Ellen, if she had been at a point where her vital signs were very irregular, her weight was so low, or um, there's also some risk involved when people who do restrict eating start to eat again. Um, There can be some uh, risks involved in that that have to be medically observed. So if that was the case with Ellen, um, which we don't see in this movie, she would first go to a medical hospital before then going to like a residential program. And we'll talk a little bit more about those levels and types of treatments in a second.
3: And it's also really important to know that anorexia nervosa has the highest mortality or death rate of any mental disorder. And this is, as we just discussed Potentially or partially due to, you know, the impact that restrictive eating can have on the body's physical ability to have the energy to do the things that it needs to do to stay alive.
2: In addition to that, you know, mortality related to restricting food intake and calories, um, individuals with anorexia nervosa are more likely than other psychiatric patients um, to die by suicide. Um, So assessment and treatment of suicidal ideation and depressive symptoms is really important in this population as well. Um, And we do know that there is a high co-occurrence of other psychiatric diagnoses, such as um, major depressive disorder, OCD, other anxiety disorders in individuals that are diagnosed with anorexia.
3: And it can be complicated because when someone's seriously underweight – um, and experiencing anorexia nervosa, they may also have depressive symptoms and mm-hmm. symptoms of depressed mood, like social withdrawal, irritability, insomnia, um, be partially because the body's not getting enough calorie intake. So sometimes it can be complicated of how much of this is caused by the side effects of the restrictive intake and how much of it is co-occurring and was maybe there before the eating disorder started. So, so there could be definitely like that complex picture determining like the comorbidity of an uh, eating disorder.
2: Definitely. And I think related to earlier when we gave the hotline for individuals that might be um, having or that might have eating disorders or seeking help, we also want to just note that if you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal ideation, you can also get help by calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. This is a number that you can call 24 hours a day. They um, have multiple languages, English and Spanish. And we will also have this resource on our website. But that number is one 800 273 8255. And I also want to highlight some uh, promising information. You know, sometimes when we talk about these diagnoses and um, kind of the prognosis or how it might play out, it is important to know that about 1% of young women in the USA are diagnosed with anorexia. Um, It can become chronic in about 10 to 30% of the cases. Um... And you know treatment can be challenging in the beginning, like we see with Ellen. you know she has kind of been in and out of treatment programs, and we do know that within the first year of treatment, about twenty to fifty percent of individuals will drop out like of the first uh, treatment or so. Um, but in studies looking at like follow-up, so longer kind of studies like following individuals with anorexia nervosa, um, in particular, a study looking at adolescents in a 10 to 15 year follow-up, they did find that 86% achieved partial or complete recovery, um, which is great. So if these individuals are receiving treatment, um, a high percentage of them did achieve like I mentioned partial complete recovery and that they found the median time to partial recovery is about five years and full recovery is about six and a half years so this is a this is an illness that requires longer follow-up potentially longer time in treatment but these
3: treatments can be effective which is great. So, you know, we have this really helpful information that eating disorder treatments can be really effective. How does it work out for Ellen? Um, So after she's discharged from this initial inpatient hospital, her stepmother sets her up to see this unconventional doctor, Dr. Beckman, played by Keanu Reeves. Um, And initially, I think it's
2: interesting because we see the stepmother and a mother of another, um, she looks like a younger adolescent, but talking about the various types of methods or various types of treatments that they use and kind of like their impressions on how treatment with Dr. Beckman will go.
3: So I hear that his methods are a little unconventional. They're quite
1: radical. But we've tried everything else. Renfrew, Maudsley. Maudsley? Oof, you're brave. Was that a nightmare? It took a long time getting used to it.
3: And in our first introduction with him, he does have this kind of blunt demeanor, right? He is not maybe what you would typically expect to see from a therapist or a psychiatrist. Um, he is, you know, cursing, saying like, you're full of shit. Yeah. He's making these comments that maybe one wouldn't necessarily expect to see from a mental health provider. Yeah, especially not at
2: first to just like straight up be like, well, I know like all like young adults and adolescents with eating disorders are just liars is basically what he's saying. So not something that maybe you want to be confronted with at the offset for establishing that relationship.
3: (laughs) Although I think that he does kind of get a little bit more buy in from Ellen, you Mm -hmm. know, especially if she's used to working with a certain type of provider that doesn't seem to understand her or, you know, um, he kind of tries to match, I think, her sarcastic demeanor um, Mm -hmm. or like his very like direct upfront demeanor, which might work for her. That's true. And Luke makes
2: a comment earlier, as we heard in that clip, about like, you know, they describe Dr. Beckman as being like pretty straight up. And it seems like they do kind of respect that or that helps individuals to be like, you know, he's telling it like it is. Um, so they kind of get that buy-in. And so Dr. Beckham describes a couple of rules for having her involved in the treatment. Let's give a quick listen to their first meet. I think it might be interesting to hear his introduction to his treatment style and what to expect.
0: I talk to kids like you all day, every day. So I know that you are, as a rule... Full of shit You're not then. You scare people And I'm guessing you like that But the way that you're going One day you won't wake up And I'm not going to treat you If you aren't interested in living Good speech If I'm going to help you You have to agree to a few things What? No talk about food I'm not interested It's boring and not very helpful And your parents can't talk about it either You're on your own, understand? Yes. You'll agree to a minimum of six weeks inpatient.
3: I don't need more inpatient.
0: Then find another doctor.
3: So, again, we hear his his direct demeanor here um, and we hear he's like not interested in treating her unless she's interested in living, which might be kind of controversial. We might come back to that a little bit later in the episode, um, but also give some specific rules about this residential treatment program and what um, is expected from Ellen for participating.
2: Yeah, and we hear him talk about like, you know, there's no talk about food and that she's going to have to do at least or she has to agree to at least six weeks of inpatient programming. So I think this is a nice time um, for us to kind of give a brief overview of what treatment for anorexia nervosa often includes or what that would look like. We've talked a little bit about Ellen's experiences about being Um, admitted to an inpatient program. Now here she is going back to another like inpatient type um, residential program. So let's kind of walk through the process of what we would expect for treatment.
3: So like Dr. Sam alluded to originally, at the most kind of highest level of care, someone might be admitted to a medical hospital to treat the medical side of things. So making sure that someone physically is healthy enough or able enough to be able to engage in psychiatric psychological treatment or, you know, kind of the next things that come. So at that highest level of care, if someone's medically unstable, they might be at a medical inpatient hospital for usually not a super long period of time, but for some amount of period um, in order to supervise and make sure this individual is medically cleared to be able to step down into a different type of hospitalization.
2: And part of that, um, interestingly, we see in the film is one of the individuals at the program with Ellen is being fed through a tube. So certain programs have the capacity to see individuals that are having to be fed through a tube, whereas others will not see um, people or not take people into the program until they are like past that step and able to orally um, eat. So um, that can be a part of it as well. And then once you are medically cleared, medically stable, you would step down to psychiatric hospitalization that is focused on treating the eating disorder. So here there is 24-hour supervision. Um, usually individuals are there for one to two weeks, kind of depending on how it goes. Um, and then um, we know that for patients that are discharged while they are still underweight, there is a 50% readmission rate. So those individuals that are you know, perhaps not really ready but discharged kind of early, we see that they come back 50% of the time. And then less than 10% of people who reach at least 90% of that body weight goal before discharge Come back.
3: And it's again, it's unclear where Ellen is when she's discharged from that inpatient. So what we would characterize Ellen when we first meet her and she's in that group therapy session and then she leaves the hospital is likely an inpatient psychiatric hospitalization. And it's again, it's unclear whether she's still underweight. It kind of seems like she might be based yeah. on her interactions with her stepmother. And then that might put her at risk of having to go back to the hospital.
2: And then the program that Dr. Beckman leads, um, they call it an inpatient program, Um uh, as well so but that's a little bit different it's not in a psychiatric hospital setting um so threshold his program it appears to be a little bit more like a residential level so here similarly he says it's for six weeks we do see that these programs typically are about three to four weeks again kind of depending on how people do and there is 24-hour supervision um So sometimes the difference, these can seem similar, right? The psychiatric, inpatient, and the residential. So it is, as we like to say, a step down. So it's a little bit lower level of care than the psychiatric inpatient unit. Um, So there can be some structural differences. There's like some differences in the monitoring. um, But the biggest difference is the setting. So inpatients more like in the treatment facility or hospital. The residential treatment is usually more like a home-like environment, which is why I say that this threshold kind of seems more like this one.
3: And the goal of each with each step down, Down is to generalize this more and more to what life will look like after an individual is completely out of hospitalization and is able to resume their typical, you know, daily functioning. So, you know, stepping down to a residential helps generalize this of like, okay, if I'm not in a hospital setting, I'm in more of a home like environment, how can I still apply the things that I was learning in the inpatient program to this residential? And then, depending on how that goes, someone might step down even further into environments that might help generalize even more to their actual home environment.
2: Exactly. And so some of these levels that we're going to talk about next can vary by state. Um, but the next level where it would be more generalizable to the home environment, more like what you expect, like as you're like kind of becoming further and further removed from treatment and kind of supervision, is called partial hospitalization program, or PHP for short. These programs are typically about five days a week um, for about two weeks, again, depending on how it goes and if goals are met. Um, and they're usually about six hours a day. So sometimes when working with adolescents or young adults, you'll compare it almost to like a school day um, because it's during the weekdays. It's like the full kind of time that you'd be in school um, and you are having support around two meals, usually like breakfast or lunch. And then you go home and work with the family um, in the family context on the dinner meal. Um, and so we know that these types of programs are really effective with results, sustaining um over an 18-month follow-up period. And this could be kind of because you are having the support for the two meals. You're there during the weekdays um, for most hours of the day, but you're also practicing and learning skills in the home environment for like dinner and the weekend. Um, The
3: next program would be an intensive outpatient program or an IOP. And, you know, like Dr. Sam mentioned, there are some states that actually don't really have partial hospitalization programs. Mm -hmm. So someone might skip directly from a residential to an IOP or an intensive outpatient program. And again, there's some overlap, there's some similarity between PHP and IOP um, in the same way the person is living at home and then they're coming to the treatment facility for a certain amount of time each day. And there's usually some amount of treatment that can be done in the home environment as well, again, to generalize that. So typically it's several evenings a week, um, really focusing on one type of meal like dinner and for several hours at a time. And again, people are living at home and the idea. Is to establish support systems so that as this individual gets further and further down this kind of stepped care model, they are able to generalize this and be able to use these skills that they're learning and take these, you know, different strategies to manage um, weight and things like that into this home setting and home environment.
2: -hmm and then the next steps would be family-based therapy and individual therapy so these are more in an outpatient setting um, like what you kind of would expect and what we've seen in other therapy cases that we talk about you're living at home going to school doing all of the kind of typical things and then going to sessions with your family or an individual basis with a provider like a psychiatrist psychologist therapist um, to continue to work on these skills and continue to receive support like we mentioned treatment for eating disorders can be a little bit longer than we see in other cases and there are different types and modalities of individual and family-based treatment, which we'll talk about. Um, I do want to note that it is important that while we discuss this, like as a very like step-like manner, like you go from psychiatric to residential to the partial or intensive outpatient program and then to therapy, that oftentimes individuals are not taking these steps in that order. And sometimes it can go, you know, you might go from residential, you might have to step back up to psychiatric treatment um, inpatient. You might go from an inpatient outpatient back to a residential. And, you know, sometimes While they're going through this process and receiving treatment, really we're trying to meet the needs of that person. And if they need additional support, a little bit more of that supervision, a little bit more support, they might go back up as well. And that is part of the treatment. So, you know, it is not always expected that someone is going to neatly climb down these stairs like we talked about.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And that's we start to see that with Ellen and we'll talk a little bit later about how maybe there were opportunities for her to step back up the ladder depending on how she was doing. Or in the future maybe if there was a sequel to this movie, we might see her step down into other of these levels that we talked about. So in terms of how the movie portrays this, let's see let's talk a little bit about Ellen's experience and thresholds, um, which we would Considered to be a residential facility seen by doc, overseen by Dr. Beckman.
2: Yeah. So Ellen here, you know, she is living in this house with about six to seven other individuals at a time, they state. Um, When she first gets here, they do a bag search. And so they take her vitamins. She kind of says like, hey, those are just vitamins. They they let her know, which I think is appropriate, that well, it's in a vitamin bottle, they can't really test or know what substance is really in that bottle and taking that away. And I think that is something you would very much expect from like an inpatient or residential level of care.
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. We also see that they do daily weighing. I would also imagine this is pretty standard practice um, in an inpatient or residential facility. And then there's different elements of treatment. So we see Ellen have some individual sessions with Dr. Beckman. We also see them family sessions. We'll get to those in a little bit. And we also see group therapy, sort of, or group check-ins is more of what we would see, (laughs) what we might describe those as. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And in these group check-ins, we can kind of actually listen to one really quickly.
1: So how this works, this is just an end of day check-in. The morning sessions are a little more focused. This is just to talk about our struggles and our victories and any other issues we might be having here in the house. Let's start with Pearl. Struggle. I got tube today, and, uh, you know, it hurts. Now I feel all hot. I can't stop thinking about how many calories are in that drip. They won't say 1,500 I looked it up, I was tubed a couple times. Oh, and we try not to cross talk. We don't talk about numbers or weight or anything like that. Talk to me, brother. My victory was leading a fantastic house tour and earning another point, which means I get to go to Gelagatza Oaxacan restaurant. That's great. Talk to me about your struggles. Don't know, really. I guess I'm obsessing about my injury and if I'll be able to perform when I get out of here. But I've got a goal. So that's good. Alan, struggle um, coming here. I mean, accepting that I have to come here. So maybe your victory is that you're here. Yeah, maybe.
2: But really here, uh, it seems like the goal is to discuss the struggles and the victories of the day. So people talk about like, you know, their victories and being able to earn points or their um, struggles with having to get a tube place for feeding. Um, and we also hear, hear that there is like a big emphasis on not talking about numbers. Um, I think that that's a pretty standard part of care, uh, particularly early on, like at this level of care in a residential setting, not talking about numbers as it pertains to calories, as it pertains to weight weight, um, any of those numbers really um, are not helpful. And we see that the one individual when she learns those numbers about the calories and the feeding tube becomes very uh,
3: focused on that. Yeah, absolutely. Another somewhat unusual thing that we see portrayed, and not that this can't ever happen, but mealtime is very unique compared to what Dr. Sam and I have seen in these types of programs and what we know to be common in these programs. Um, It's this very kind of cavalier, like, eat whatever you want. Um, You don't even have to eat. You just can't leave during mealtime. And they lock the bathrooms afterwards so that people can't engage in any purging behaviors. Um, And then they get points that they can get from eating uh, more food or higher calorie food or from other things that they can use to kind of get rewards. Eat what you want.
1: If you have special food, like Andrew here does, that's fine, we'll get it for you. That's it? No, you're definitely judged. When you eat, points magically appear. What he means is, if you're maintaining or moving towards your goal, you go up a level. How you do it is up to you. Really? Yeah, but no one leaves the table at mealtime, and bathrooms are locked for 30 minutes after. And there's no point pretending to eat or throwing up into the plants or whatever. It smells, and it doesn't end up on the scale.
2: Yeah, and I would agree. I think this is very different. Sometimes there can be an emphasis on preferred food, so a food that a person really likes to eat during the period of time where it's really important to restore their weight, right? So if it's really important that we're just trying to um, get calories, get them to eat more, um, you can see that. Like, okay, what do you want to eat? Let's make a plan. You have to eat it. But usually there are also plans and goals in place that, you know, if you're unable to finish certain amount of food that the goal is set, then you might have to like, you know, supplement your diet. And then, you know, like they talk about, if it gets to a point where you're not taking in enough um, nutrients and calories, then you would um, have to get a tube to receive that. Um, So I think this is very different where it's kind of like, you know, we're not focused on the meals, we're not focused on weight restoration. Um, That's kind of counter to a lot of the treatment plans. And I think Dr. Beckman's goal here is. He's really focused on their motivation and kind of letting them get to that place on their own. And we'll talk a little bit more about how that compares to other treatments. But it seems to be that's more of his goal.
3: And, you know, I think to some extent I can appreciate what seems to be part of the goal to allow individuals to have more control over their intake and have more control over what is going on. And at the same time, we also know if, you know, for years these individuals maybe haven't been eating, taking in enough calorie to kind of sustain weight and things like that. So finding that balance of, um, you know – allowing people to have control or, you know, come some say and like, what am I eating or, you know, at what time or things like that, while also still being in line with the treatment goals of getting individuals to a healthy weight.
2: Yeah, and so that seems to be, like, one difference from other facilities that we might see. Um, we can talk a little bit more about in other ways how this compares to the depictions that we might expect in a residential treatment program um we talked a little bit about this briefly but a lot of times um teams that are helping individuals with eating disorders will include like mental health providers physicians nutritionists family members psychiatrists we see bits of that we see uh, you know dr beckman it's there's like some support staff in the program it doesn't really seem again like there's a focus on the food or meals so there doesn't there's no involvement in nutritionists at this point There is varying levels of involvement of family at this point. Um, So, you know, kind of some elements are what we might expect, and some of those are not quite...
3: Yeah, and it's unclear whether maybe these things are happening. They're just not depicted in the movie, but we would definitely expect to see more of an emphasis on that nutritional counseling, maybe some medication management, um, more often like medical management, not just doing weight check ins, but, you know, um, especially for someone like we're in Ellen's situation, might be checking in more regularly on her medical status, um, and a lot more family involvement typically, unless it's contraindicated in terms of, you know, the family is really toxic or it's an abusive family um, that we might see a Lot more engagement with the family, which we'll get to a little bit, kind of how that plays out in Ellen's situation.
2: Yes. And the thing I was surprised about really is the level of supervision. And again, you know, they talk about Dr. Beckman. He's a little unorthodox, has his own style. But in a residential program, you know, we do see that the individuals there at the program are engaging in behaviors that we might not expect if there was higher levels of supervision. Um, and, um, you know, again, we talked about there's no real supervision around the food and the meals, which is very different um, because oftentimes in the beginning of treatment, there can be an emphasis about the meals and food. As you can imagine, someone who has an eating disorder, like Ellen even described, that kind of panic feeling, when they initially start to eat, there can be a lot of distress, and so it's kind of um, – providing strategies different ways to cope and manage that distress and still reach goals and so we don't really see any of that in this program either
3: yeah absolutely i think a lot of critics of the residential facility that's portrayed in the movie have mentioned similar things about like there would typically be a higher level of supervision Mm -hmm. um, and more kind of steps put in place to encourage individuals to eat and to gain weight and to stay healthy in that way Um.
2: And so now we talked a little bit about the settings. There are also different types of treatments that exist. Um, with var- And they all kind of have varying levels of being effective for different aspects of eating disorders. And so we're going to talk about a couple of these different types of treatment that we might expect to see.
3: And like Dr. Sam mentioned, there's not necessarily one gold standard treatment that everyone uses and that fits for every single client, which is why there are several different options for treatment modalities that have been shown to be effective for different types of individuals or different types of eating disorders. So, um, one of them is acceptance and commitment therapy. So we haven't talked about this much yet on the podcast. I hope we have an opportunity to talk about this more in depth, um, at some point. Um, but this treatment is really working on identifying core values and then committing to creating goals that fulfill these values. Um, So also the working on detaching from emotions and learning that pain and anxiety are a normal part of life. Mm -hmm. Um, So we can talk about a little bit how this seems to fit somewhat with Dr. (laughs) Beckman's approach, but maybe some better ways he could have gone about doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, Another approach, which we'll talk a lot more about in a few episodes, we have plans to discuss dialectical behavioral therapy, um, which really has different skills focused on building mindfulness, becoming more effective in interpersonal relationships, regulating emotions, and tolerating distress. So um, that's another very hands-on approach that can be used to treat eating disorders.
2: Yeah, and I think some of those skills um, Ellen would benefit from greatly. So something to keep in mind as we talk through her treatment. The other one is the family-based treatment. Um, So there are different approaches even to this, but this is often a recommendation when people step down to that outpatient, individual, and family level of care. Um, And here, one of the approaches is really trying not to analyze why the eating disorder may have developed and it's really kind of taking off that blame that families may experience related to the disorder and is really trying to strengthen the bond between the parents and the family, empowers the family to help their child, love their child, Um, and it really um, involves the entire family or at least a couple of members of the family um, to engage in meals together with the therapist to kind of work through how mealtime goes and the behaviors that may um, come up during mealtime.
3: And something like this would really make sense for a client like Ellen, because if she's still living at home, the family seems to play a large role in, you know, what's going on, that it would be really helpful to have them engaged in treatment if, you know, applicable or if it can be productive um, to kind of help for, for when she does transition out of residential and back home, that they're not just like, oh, good luck with, you know, re- your recovery, you're on your own situation.
2: Yeah. And it's important to note that Ellen is an adult. So she's 20 years old. And so engagement in this type of therapy would also need to have her approval. Right. So she would have to agree to have her family be involved in this way. Another treatment type is cognitive behavioral therapy enhanced. Um, And we have talked about CBT in the past for various disorders. Um, So, as it pertains to eating disorders, this enhanced CBT aims to modify distorted beliefs and attitudes about, like, you know, what weight means, um, the person's physical shape and appearance, which may be associated with the development and the maintenance of the eating disorder. Um, And the goal here, kind of similarly, it seems like, again, to Dr. Beckman's approach, but maybe just not in the the best way is that he the the emphasis is really on patients deciding that they want to regain weight rather than having this imposed upon them, um, which you know interestingly with eating disorders it can be difficult because if the person is at a weight that is unhealthy or unsafe, then the goal is going to be on that weight restoration, getting their physical health stabilized um, but again, we see with CBTE and dr. Beckman's approach that sometimes Potentially, it can also be beneficial to have the person really get that buy-in, feel motivated to regain the weight um, to meet their goals.
3: And different aspects of these treatment might be more appropriate at different times, right? So there might be a certain approach that's taken when someone is at a significantly low weight, and then maybe as they transition from that residential to intense and outpatient to regular outpatient, then we might see someone take more of the CBTE approach or DBT or ACT. We love acronyms in <laughs> psychology, if you couldn't tell. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so now let's kind of like just break down the therapy that we see Ellen receive um, and kind of as it pertains to these different types, like do we think it matches up and where might we see these elements? I think a good place to start is with the family session. So let's give a quick listen to that and then we'll break it down.
0: Okay. I want everybody to understand nobody's on trial here. I just want to get a sense of the family.
1: Well, until recently, Ellen lived with us. She moved in with her father 18 months ago. Mm -hmm. We thought it might be good for her to heal that relationship. He's shown little interest in who Ellen really is. He's only interested in who he wants her to be. Ellen is an artist. She's extremely bright and sensitive. She was never going to go into Chinese or computers or what have you.
0: Is that what you think your dad wants for you?
1: I don't know. I guess, I think he just wants me to be able to make a living. Exactly, is that a crime?
0: No crimes, remember?
1: The point is, Ellen's father never saw who she was. He left when she was very young. Yeah, because you were sleeping with your best friend over there. No, that's not why the marriage ended. Oh, really? There's a better reason? We are not here to defend our relationship. When are you going to come up with a different narrative, Susan? What narrative? What narrative, Susan? No, this is the truth. Jack didn't want to have sex. Well, he likes it with me just fine, twice a week, like clockwork. Oh, my God.
3: Besides, he's not the one who abandoned her. We
1: did not abandon Ellen. We moved to Phoenix. They threw her out. They put her bags on the street. Because we have been dealing with Ellen's illness alone for years. I didn't abandon my daughter. I, I love her more than life. I just didn't know what to do. I mean, she's dying right in front of us.
0: What's going on with you right now?
1: I'm sorry that I'm not a person anymore. I'm a problem. And it's all my fault.
0: Fuck, fault fault and blame have no place here only how you want to live moving forward who you want to be
2: I think we hear a couple of those different elements here. Um, so one of the first ones that pops out to me is that family-based therapy approach. So obviously, this is a family session. Um, and he mentions, like, you know, no one is on trial and there's no, like, fault and blame here. So I think very much in line with that approach, he's kind of trying to take off the blame and guilt um, and really kind of focus on, like, you know, not the why and, like, let's kind of move forward. So I think that that's in line with that approach we talked about briefly.
3: And there's almost a little bit of a hint of act there in terms of it's less about what's happened in the past or why this is happening and more about like what's important to you and how can you still like have a positive, helpful life. I'm extending what he said a little bit, but how can you basically (laughs) create a meaningful life moving forward, even though all of this has happened in the past? So there are elements here that I think are helpful. Mm -hmm. And then it's just really disappointing that we never come back to the family sessions again.
2: No, they kind of give up on it. And going off on the act too, I do think he puts some emphasis on the values. He's like, what matters is what you want to be. And that's kind of another way you could say that is like, what matters is what's important to you. Um, And act or the acceptance and commitment therapy places a lot of emphasis on those values and moving towards them. So I think that that element is also really nice. Um, But I agree. It's like they kind of, um, I think both Ellen and Dr. Beckman later refer to this session as, and this is a quote, but a shit show. And then they never really return to having the family. Involved, And Dr. Fran and I have debated because there are times when family involvement can be detrimental and you can move away from that. Um, and we were thinking, like, ways that could potentially be conducive to having the family. Like, maybe you don't have to have this, like, you know, it's a multiple... Household family, and maybe we don't have to have them all in at the same time. Maybe it's working with dad and stepmom, um, and then working with uh, mom and her partner at differing times. Um, it does seem like Ellen kind of feels disconnected from her family, so working working on strengthening that bond, especially when she is living with her dad and stepmom, we did think could be more productive. Um, but the in the movie they they veer away from that really quickly,
3: and we can see that if there is this kind of family dynamic going on, and we see that even when we mentioned before of like kind of overbearing um, a critical. Stepmom, that if someone is doing really well in a residential treatment facility and then they go back to this environment that is unhelpful, and the parents haven't really been coached or trained on how best to interact and talk about these things and support the individual with an eating disorder, you're kind of setting someone up to not be successful. Um, so it can be really helpful, if possible, to engage those family members to help support that person as they step down further and further. Even with the stepmom, we had talked about, you know, there's those examples of her in the beginning, and also those hints that she has. Probably probably been in some of these therapy sessions before. She has a quote where she says something like, be good. And then she quickly tries to correct herself and say, but don't be perfect. (laughs) And that's like a line that clearly someone started coaching her on, you know, how not don't set super high expectations, don't expect perfection. And I think there's a lot of room to grow in terms of the family and how they talk about eating and how they talk about Ellen.
2: Yes, definitely. And also just like the emphasis on physical appearance. Every time a family member sees her, they make a really negative judgmental comment about the way she appears. I think a big part of working through an eating disorder is kind of taking away that emphasis, focusing on other things. Um, And so I think that that's really important. And at the end, we'll talk a little bit about the end, but I do think there's this really hopeful moment when Ellen realizes that – Her family members do care for her and are trying to support her. And so, empowering the family to support her in a more beneficial way, I think, would be very important.
3: Absolutely. I think another interesting piece of this treatment, and it's not necessarily therapy, but they go on this art, this uh, field trip to an art installation. Um, And, you know, I feel like this is such a cliche moment (laughs) in the movie in terms of they all go. It's like this cool rain installation, which the whole time I was watching it, I was like, that looks terrible.
2: it's a real installation I think I mean, correct, I would yeah have, I think so too I'd have to google it because I don't remember anymore but I remember like several years ago people I know from the um, LA area were posting pictures with like the, the like droplets with like the different colors and things like that
3: <laughs> but it is this kind of cliche moment in terms of they all go the whole point and you know Ellen sees right through Dr. Beckman is to help yeah. us feel alive right
0: somebody tell me why we're here because
1: we're alive very good
3: And they all enjoy it. It's this very touching moment. But Ellen, it comes out of it kind of struggling of, you know, kind of recognizing here's what it was supposed to do. And here's how I'm feeling.
0: I know what you're
1: trying to do. Life's beautiful and all that shit.
0: And that upsets you because?
1: Because it is. I mean, I, I know it can be, but I, I can't stop. And I don't even know why. I just... I just can't.
0: Yeah, that's bullshit. That voice that says you can. Every time you hear that voice, I want you to tell it to fuck off. Fuck off, boys.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Fuck off. Fuck you, boys. Fuck you, boys. Fuck off.
2: And I feel like that dissonance that she's experiencing is really important to like capture and like further discuss or work on in treatment. But she does try to express it to Dr. Beckman like, okay, I know that life can be beautiful, but that's not really my experience. And this is where she expresses that feeling of like not being able to stop. Um, So, you know, she kind of is in this moment starting to have some insight or identifying some of the difficulties that she is having and
3: noticing that mismatch. And, you know, in response, Dr. Beckman starts this whole thing where they start saying fuck off voice of, and that's somewhat of an element of some of the treatments we talk about, particularly um, cognitive behavioral therapy, or even acceptance and commitment therapy of this idea of kind of separating or disconnecting ourselves from our thoughts, just because we have thoughts doesn't mean we have to act on them, doesn't mean we have to listen to them or respond to them or have an emotional reaction to them. It's just a thought. And so, you know, it's kind of a nice display of that in a funny way that then all the You know, patients and clients kind of um, join in together of screaming like, fuck off voice, um, (laughs) kind of like in a more fun way than we might typically see it done in therapy, but kind of getting a hint of that.
2: Yeah. And then the other parts of therapy that we do see for her individual therapy, I think they're really like two sessions. One in the beginning that's a little more promising, um, Ellen experiences that or expresses that she has some hope because she's seeing others in the house that seem like they're doing okay, um, you know, kind of meeting, working towards and meeting goals and feeling more positively about that. Um, it does seem like her and Dr. Beckman are establishing rapport. And then an interesting part of the treatment is they kind of um, come up with a new name for Ellen to identify by, um, which is Eli.
0: So how are you doing after family therapy?
2: It's pretty much how it always is when my folks are together.
0: Minus your dad. Like I said. But I don't feel as bad as I thought I was going to. Why do you think that is?
1: I'm getting to know some of the people in the house. Some of them actually seem like they're doing okay. I hope so. No, I mean, really okay. Like they might get lives and be
0: semi-interesting people. Did you just say something vaguely optimistic? I did say semi But, yeah. Now I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh oh. I'm not crazy about your name. What? Ellen doesn't suit you. It's too old fashioned.
1: I've never really liked it.
0: So change it.
1: I can't just change it. I can't, right?
0: Just tell people to call you by a different name. Or if you wanna make it legal, you can fill out a form online in about 10 minutes i was thinking ellie oh that's no good no how about eli
3: yeah. And I think, again, that first therapy session and generally just Dr. Beckman seems to develop good rapport with Ellen and with the other members of the house. So, like, you know, we mentioned before, being pretty straightforward, being directive, being, um, you know, sarcastic at times, seeming like a real person, seeming genuine seems to get some buy in of like, okay, we can trust this person. Um, and he seems to know what he's talking about and have my best interest in mind without just trying to like solve the problem.
2: And kind of related to that, like speaking of rapport, we also. To see that like after this therapy session and Ellen you know her time at Threshold she does seem you know she's slow to warm but she's like kind of warming to the program overall she's connecting with the others in the house she actually establishes a really positive relationship with Luke that then kind of starts to trend towards a more romantic relationship um, however we do see that she still continues to restrict her food intake we still see that she is excessively exercising against recommendations um, I think really the whole time during this program treatment we see her um, take like one bite of the food, the Googled candy um, that her and Luke mentioned. Um, and she does appear to continue to lose weight during her uh, weigh-ins.
3: Yeah. So even though things are going more positively for her interpersonally, at least mm-hmm. we do still see that she is struggling to gain and maintain weight. Um, and this particularly kind of comes to like a head or comes to a climax after she has a big fight with Luke. And then Megan, who is one of the other individuals in the house um, miscarries and loses her baby in like a really tragic scene. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Ellen really seems to struggle with this, and tries to talk to Doctor Beckman about it, and you know, come to terms with this, and how you know she's really struggling to continue to eat and continue to gain weight in the way that um, is encouraged in the program. So let's take a listen to how that therapy session goes.
0: Lobo tells me you're about a day away from getting the tube. You've been making progress, but you can't stay at threshold if you drop any more weight. Lobo also tells me that you and Luke aren't speaking. It seemed like you and Luke had something good going. Whatever, he's totally gay. That would be easier, right? Then you could write him off.
1: Does he talk to you about me?
0: You know I can't answer that.
1: I just don't see the point.
0: There is no point. Or at least big picture, we don't get to know what it is. Why we live, why Megan lost the baby, why that girl killed herself.
1: You're not reassuring me, doctor.
0: I can't reassure you. This idea you have that there's a way to be safe. It's childish and cowardly. It stops you from experiencing anything, including anything good.
1: You don't think I feel bad enough already? I know I messed up.
0: But you're supposed to teach me how not to be. You know how. Stop waiting for life to be easy. Stop hoping for somebody to save you. You don't need another person lying to you. Things don't all add up, but you are resilient. Face some hard facts and you could have an incredible life.
1: That's your pearl of wisdom?
0: Grow a pair? That's a more concise way of putting it. Yeah. Unbelievable.
1: (laughs) Fuck you.
3: So, Dr. Sam, what do you think of Dr. Beckman's techniques in that scene?
1: It is a
2: very mixed bag, I will say. So I think overall, you know, this is something that Dr. Fran and I have criticized in other movies. Um, Dr. Beckman, he kind of comes out and he tells – Eli at this point that she knows how to help herself that she needs to stop waiting for others to save her um, and she kind of even makes the comment like well you're supposed to teach me how and I agree with her in this sentiment <laughs> you know like um, it is the role of the mental health provider to provide skills of course you can challenge and and use strategies to help the person get there on their own as well, but kind of just pushing back and being like, you already know how to do this. We can talk about what strategies he may have been trying to use, but I don't think in this case they are very helpful, (laughs) at least in this moment.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and if she's still struggling with these disordered eating behaviors and struggling to gain weight, maybe he hasn't done everything he possibly can to give her those strategies to be able to help herself. You know, I think the point is what he's trying to get at is, like, empowering her of, like, Mm -hmm. you have the ability to make this choice. I can only help you if you want to help yourself type of thing there are some elements of acceptance and commitments therapy here in terms of you know like there are going to be elements of like pain and suffering in your life and that doesn't mean you can't still have a meaningful future right of like these difficult things are going to happen how can we make it so that you can still manage that and have a helpful and productive life but the way he goes about it actually i think breaks some rapport with her um, and kind of you know uh, kind of damages the relationship a little bit.
2: I agree. She even makes a comment like, you're supposed to reassure me, which actually, like, as therapists, we often do talk about how reassurance is not a helpful tool, but there are ways to then go about giving support in that context. I think also an element that we would often use is kind of challenging, like, distorted ideas and beliefs, and so he does make a comment about how she is always worried about being safe or being unsafe, um, which we would challenge an individual on, but you also help them to get to the point where they can challenge those thoughts and realize that, you know, that there are going to be moments that they're not always feeling unsafe. And he kind of just, like, pushed that back on her again without, like, kind of actually taking the steps to help
3: her get there. Yeah, and I don't know of any therapy technique where growing a pair is the main point.
2: (laughs) No, definitely not appropriate. Um, You know, like, he doesn't say it, but then he, like, agrees when she says it. And I think... Overall, this scene kind of just to me showed that he maybe didn't have the best um, understanding of Eli because he's not really matching her and he he pushes her in a way that she's maybe not ready for and is not really um, receiving very well.
3: Yeah. And she ends up actually leaving the treatment facility. So, you know, not long after this therapy session, she decides she's done. She leaves. um, And she's clearly at this point, not medically stable, um, which is another qualm or issue that, you know, Dr. Sam and I and other individuals that have watched this film have issue with is that if Eli is at the point where she, you know, leaves the train, leaves, she goes to the train station, she's passing out because she doesn't have enough nutrition. um, Maybe she should have been it should have been considered to have have her go back to an inpatient hospitalization or like a medical inpatient to kind of medically stabilize her
2: and i do know that there has been some criticism of the movie about how actually this is very unethical of dr beckman to allow her to get to this level to allow her to leave when she's not stabilized um and really uh would he would be liable for things that like may happen to eli like when she left the when she left his treatment program
3: and so she leaves the treatment facility. She goes home to her mom and mom's partner in Phoenix. Phoenix. And some kind of interesting things happen there.
2: So one of the things that we'll, I want to just talk on briefly is that their mom kind of starts to express to Eli like, how she's been feeling. We see mom's distress with trying to help Eli through her illness. Um, and then she talks about like some of her own recommendations. One being like equine therapy with the partner. I think it's interesting because Eli even asked, like, isn't that – ethically not appropriate. Yes, Eli, we agree. Not the most ethically appropriate approach. And then Mother also has one other idea. And let's just listen to that before we discuss it.
1: It would be healing for the both of us if you allowed me to feed you. Like a baby? Well, like a mother and a a child. I could hold you and rock you, and you could go to sleep. Uh, I don't know. No, I know. I know, it's it's odd. But, well, as she said it, I felt real clarity that that's what we need.
2: So in this clip, Mom, I believe it's some kind of, like, spiritual leader or some friend that she has, has suggested that she... Hold and bottle feed Eli to help establish things that might have been broken during infancy that she believes might have led to um, her eating difficulties or her eating disorder.
3: And is this something that we see in the literature as effective for treating eating disorders, Dr. Sam?
2: I have not come across any literature that would recommend this or state that it is an effective treatment. Eli eventually, though, gets the point after mom tells her that she accepts that Eli doesn't want to live anymore and that she's no longer going to keep fighting her on this. Um, And so she lets mom do it. And I think it's just kind of a I think she realizes that mom has either like given up on her or is so distressed that she doesn't know what to do. And so she kind of gives into this um, recommendation and they do it.
3: And then in the middle of the night, Eli wakes up and, you know, walks into the desert. It's hard to tell how much is reality, how much is a hallucination potentially. Um, but she definitely has a dream like state or a hallucination mm-hmm. where she sees quite a few different pieces. We don't have to get into the whole of it, but, you know, she sees these different images of like herself happy with Luke. She sees herself eating. She mm-hmm. also sees her body um, from, a, you know, kind of an outsider's perspective um, and kind of, I think, has more of a realization of like how serious her condition is in terms of how much weight she's lost. Um, And then she seems to kind of wake up and be happy that she's not dead.
2: And I feel like that whole scene was a little bit confusing to me, honestly, like in terms of the intentions of going into the desert. I think because she's medically unstable, she again passes out and is having these like dreams. Um, but I agree. She wakes up and she appears like, like she's actually happy to be alive. And this is where for the first time we actually do see that Eli now has bought in. She's more motivated and she's actually interested in care and treatment. I think throughout... The people around her have been, you know, kind of pushing her towards therapy, Um, and I think this is the first time where she makes the decision, like, okay, I'm ready for, for treatment.
3: And it ends on this hopeful note of, she you know, she's finally decided that she's going to try, she's going to be engaged, she's really motivated for treatment and kind of has this implication of, like, things are going to get better for her. And that's, of course, what we hope for. And like Dr. Sam mentioned, what can be really common, you know, prognosis-wise, individuals with eating disorders can have really successful recoveries. And, you know, I think it's unfortunate that the way it's portrayed is that she has to hit rock bottom, she has to have a near-death experience, she has to be in this really intense state, and everyone has to basically have given up on her for her to decide that she wants to change. And that hopefully there would have been many times before this situation that she could have bought in and been motivated instead of waiting until she was on the verge of potentially dying um, from her condition to then have this turnaround moment.
2: Yeah, and Dr. Beckman even makes the comment that she had to get to this really low level. Um, You know, we don't want to recommend or encourage people to hit their absolutely lowest point where they are endangered um, to get there. There are, and we can talk about this in future episodes, just in general assessing someone's level of motivation and kind of like where they are in terms of what changes they want to make and how motivated they are to make that change is an important of lots of treatment. I think this type of treatment included and there are different ways to motivate someone as opposed to letting them go into the desert and nearly die.
3: And I think that's a good transition for today's episode into <laughs> our PH don'ts. This is not a safe
1: place. Sorry. Are you, are you going to like keep touching me like that? Or?
3: That guy is a total
1: loon. But I cannot talk about my clients. I cannot talk about my clients. Oh, that's it. Great, great job, everybody. Thank you.
2: Don't tell your patient you will only treat them if they want to live.
3: Don't make it easy for people to do things that are not in line with their treatment goals, like running home from a movie theater.
2: Don't tell your patient to, quote unquote, grow a pair.
3: Don't provide
2: equine therapy
3: to your romantic partner's daughter.
2: Don't shut out family members if they could be helpful or if the patient wants their family involved.
3: Don't recommend a mother
2: cradle and bottle feed her adult child. And don't let a medically unstable patient leave
3: treatment to wander around in the desert. (laughs) So I know we talked about a lot of different elements of eating disorders and eating disorder treatment today. Dr. Sam, what are just generally your overall impressions of To the Bone?
2: this is a hard one, honestly, you know, um, I can agree with some of the earlier critiques and kind of comments that we talked about in the beginning, that this is a very important topic. I mean, um, it is a very challenging experience for the people and families involved. Um, so I think it's an important topic to bring awareness to. Um, I think that overall, Certain aspects like portrayed, like what having an eating disorder might look like, what things you might expect. Um, obviously, I had qualms with some of the recommendations and the treatment that we saw. Um, and overall, one of the things I will say, and you know, Dr. Fran and I often mention this, but language is vitally important. And so I did have some issues with the language used throughout the movie. So we always want to use person-centered language. And what that means is like not really labeling someone. So not calling someone anorexic, not calling someone a cutter, because you're just like labeling that person and kind of making it a bigger part of their identity. So instead, you know, saying like a person with anorexia, a person who engages in self-harm or a person who cuts um, to always keep their overall identity and lower possible stigma. So that was one of the things I also had issue with throughout the movie.
3: Yeah, I would agree. I have seen this movie once before and then obviously rewatched it before filming this episode. And I actually found it really hard to watch. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like, it doesn't make you feel good, even though the ending is uplifting, but just, kind of sitting with the discomfort and the difficulty that individuals with eating disorders and their families can deal with for an hour and 50 minutes was challenging, even though Dr. Sam and I work with individuals like this in our, you know, practices sometimes. Um, So and at the same time, I think it is really important to have these conversations and especially for individuals who maybe don't have any experience with their own or other family members or friends don't know a lot about eating disorders, I think it is helpful to bring awareness to it and kind of, you know, shed some light on how difficult this can be for some individuals. Um, I'm sure there are other movies and depictions out there that are better or are more accurate or more positive portrayals than this movie. So I think at face value, I appreciate that it brings awareness to this topic and tries to do so in a sensitive way. And which we'll talk about in our second, I'm sure, with our DSM-5 ratings. <laughs> it wasn't the best. Um, and t- it wasn't as good as it could have been. And um, it's just generally like not a movie I would just randomly watch on a Saturday night with friends for fun.
2: No. Well, on that page, Dr. Fran, what would you give it for your DSM-5 Diagnosing Shows and Movies rating? <sighs> <laughs> um, I pounced, so Dr. Fran would have to go first.
3: I know. <laughs> Tricky, tricky. Um, (laughs) I would have to say, honestly, a two. Uh, I was originally going to give it maybe a little bit higher because the portrayal of anorexia is not wholly inaccurate, but the treatment is just lacking in so many areas in terms of the family therapy, the actual individual sessions done, the outcome of the session. Um, So I think overall, I would give it a two for accuracy of the therapy portrayal.
2: I'm actually going to agree with you, Dr. Brand. I'm going a two as well. I think that the... You know, the portrayal of the diagnostic criteria that, like, you know, Ellen meets for anorexia nervosa isn't, you know, is an okay portrayal. Um, I think I, I one of the things, you know, they talk about the physiological symptoms or uh, physiological symptoms associated with anorexia nervosa. Um, they talk about other elements associated with that that I thought were all, like, portrayed in a, an okay or pretty good way. But I do agree the treatment is is not appropriately portrayed and they mentioned that he's supposed to be more eccentric kind of more out there Um, and I get that it's like you know for entertainment so he comes across kind of harsh and blunt and like tells it like it is and I agree that there is benefit to having an individual have personal motivation to make change and reach their goals um, but I disagree with the strategy shown yeah
3: I think we can agree on that (laughs) well session is over for to the bone today don't forget to check out our website for resources and a glossary of new terms. We talked a lot, a lot of new material today and a lot of really specific resources, not just for individuals wanting to learn more, but also individuals who themselves know or um, are experiencing symptoms of an eating disorder so we will make sure to put all of that on our website as resources please also let us know your thoughts on the show we'd also love to hear what questions you have about psychology and what movies or tv shows you want us to put on our couch and break down
2: next and please join us next session as we will be putting perks of being a wallflower on our couch we are super excited to cover this movie so stay tuned yes see a good one and find and follow us on social media and as always please subscribe rate and review
3: Time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer Brandon, creative director Eric, and webmaster Don.